What role does identity politics have in politics? Should it be left out of politics or should it be included? In this episode, we're going to talk about Naomi Zak's argument about identity politics. This is a podcast where I review some of the content discussed in my ethics classes. And recently, we've been talking about identity politics. If you're one of my students, it's great to have you. And if you're not, thanks for stopping in, and I hope you'll stick around. tricky defining identity politics. Part of the problem is that some people use the term in a derisive, negative way. It's meant to be an insult thrown at certain types of group-based politics that people find concerning. On the other hand, some people offer actual definitions and they, they think that there's this phenomenon, this way of doing politics that is that is captured by this concept of identity politics. So let's turn to some of these definitions. Naomi Zak, who we talked about in class, says the following. The basic political idea of identity politics has been that people should organize in groups to articulate and further their shared interests. They should organize in groups to articulate and further their shared interests. So this is sort of the goal of identitarian politics, is that you have a group, And what this means is that you have a shared set of characteristics. Maybe you're a woman, maybe you're a person of color, maybe you're lower class or come from um, a certain kind of at-risk background or disadvantaged background. And you get together, you mobilize, you organize with other people who have those shared characteristics. And you begin to think about your shared interests. What are your deprivations or needs as a group? What are your interests? And you begin to articulate and further those shared interests through politics. Laura McGuire, another philosopher, um, wrote an article for Philosophy Talks called Identity Politics. And she says, identity politics is when people of a particular race, ethnicity, gender, or or religion form alliances and organize politically to defend their group's interests. So again, we have that group defense, the group-based interest. And she adds a little bit of a clarification and qualification to what Naomi Zak said. She said it's when people of a particular race, ethnicity, gender, or religion form alliances and organize politically to defend the interests of that ethnicity, gender, religion, race, and so on. You could also talk about ability and so on. So there are different types of identities, different types of groups, and the idea is that they're forming alliances and they organize politically to defend their particular interests. What is the opposite of identity politics? Well, that's a tricky question, but roughly you might think that organizing, not on the basis of identity, but on the basis of ideology, is an alternative to identity politics. It's not that identity groups can't organize on the basis of ideology. There's always ideology shaping politics, but the idea is that an alternative to identity politics is ideology-based politics, or perhaps Uh, partisan-based politics, your commitment to a particular political party, say the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. 
And there, it's not as much about your race, your ethnicity, your gender. It's about your commitment to an ideology. It spans different identity groups. I won't say much more about that. Again, I think it's really tricky trying to define identity politics, but something like this seems to be happening, right? So there seem to be people who mobilize on the basis of grievances they have as a group, whether they are people of color, whether they're women, whether they're sexual minorities, and so on. They organize and basically go into the political sphere and say, hey, our group is experiencing certain forms of rights violations, certain forms of exclusion or deprivation, certain harms. And this needs to stop. And so they advocate for political interventions and political transformations that help meet those needs and address those concerns. Naomi Zak has an argument for thinking that this type of politics should be left out of government. It should be left out of government. She doesn't necessarily think, as far as I understand her, that identity politics shouldn't play some role leading up to political policy formation she i think allows that at the organizational level it's okay for people to organize around their interests and begin to um, form solidarity to create political momentum for change but that the level of policy implementation at the level of government they they shouldn't bring their identitarian orientation or their identity politics to the table so who is Naomi Zak? Well, she is a philosopher currently at the University of Oregon, although I, I'm aware that some people say Oregon. She's at the University of Oregon, and she has done a lot of work on the philosophy of race, social justice, political philosophy. She is the editor of the Oxford Handbook on the Philosophy of Race. She also wrote a book not too long ago called White Privilege and Black Rights, The Injustice of U.S. Police racial profiling and homicide so she's someone who we got to get we got to get this right she's someone who believes that the united states has ongoing racial injustices that it is not an equal society for all people and she's written about that in various places so let's just like be clear about this naomi zach believes that there is immense racial justice in the united states However, she believes that identity politics is not the appropriate or most effective way of addressing these racial injustices. So what is her argument for thinking that identity politics should not be a part of politics? It's very simple. Simply put, identity politics makes the government dysfunctional. And when the government becomes dysfunctional in this specific way she has in mind, progress does not happen and we don't actually achieve racial equality or racial justice. So identity politics makes the government dysfunctional. More precisely, how does it do that? Well, she has this premise about the purpose of the government. On her view, the purpose of the government is to solve problems. It's to solve basic problems to meet basic needs. And it has the resources and ability to do that. It has the administrative power and the financing power to meet needs and and problems of citizens. It's going to have a little bit more ability than, say, local organizations or local individuals who may not have, again, the administrative or financial power to alleviate certain kinds of problems. So, for example, think about climate change. The federal government and perhaps also state governments have the capacity to implement policies that are going to address climate change. 
Or think about healthcare, think about poverty, and so on. In some ways, the government just is going to have more administrative and financial power to bring about needed change in these areas. It's going to be able to solve problems more efficiently. Now, if, if you agree with that view of government, then she thinks you should be suspicious about identity politics playing a role in the government, playing a role in policy formation. The reason is, this is a key premise of her argument, is that identity politics threatens to make the government dysfunctional. It puts pressure on that problem-solving purpose of the government. Now, why is that? How does it create this problem and threaten to make the government dysfunctional, she has a key supporting argument, and it's the pushback argument. The idea is that identity-based politics invites and triggers pushback from competing identity groups. It invites and it triggers pushback from competing identity groups. The idea is that when an identity group ascends into the political arena and starts to advocate for policies that will help that group well, that draws the attention of other groups who might say, that's not fair. Like, why are they getting special privileges? Why are they getting special attention? And that group might be resistant and start to advocate for its own policies, might start to advocate against the policies of the other identity group. It really depends on, on what groups we're talking about. But the idea here is that identitarian politics invites identitarian pushback. So, for example, <clears throat> imagine that people who come from a disadvantaged background, perhaps people of color, are pushing for certain economic policies that will improve their opportunities and their standing. For Naomi Zak, what this is going to do is it's going to invite pushback from people who are maybe more regressive in their political orientation. And they're going to say, no, like, that's only benefiting them, and we don't think that there's a real need there, and so that's going to be too costly, and it's too targeted. It doesn't benefit everybody, and so it's just going to generate pushback, and you come to this gridlock political standoff, and nothing actually gets done. And that's the problem, is when government doesn't do what it's supposed to do, which is solve problems for people. Identity politics, according to Naomi Zak, creates these gridlocks. And I guess even worse than a gridlock is like intense pushback or lashback, you might say. And she does talk about this in her book, um, how sort of the rise of identity politics in favor of the black community like BLM, when that started to increase and gain more political attention, um, we also saw a corresponding lashback, not just pushback, but a lashback from white supremacists and others who just did not agree with that vision of America. As a historical example, we saw a lot of pushback to affirmative action. So these are policies that increased your chances of getting a job, say if you were a racial minority or if you were a woman or would implement quotas in universities or in certain institutions. There was immense pushback to these policies in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, really. So another example where policies that benefit a particular group but don't benefit others do invite some sort of resistance. So if not identity politics, then how do we advocate for the needs of historically aggrieved group or disadvantaged groups who actually have legitimate concerns? And again, remember, Naomi Zak thinks that a lot of these identity groups have legitimate grievances. Her solution is to push for universalism. Now, to understand this view, we need to make a distinction between two 
types of policies. Some policies are meant for a particular group. These are what you would call group-targeted policies. Group-targeted policies. And group-targeted policies are ones that are written into legislation or put into place within an institution for particular beneficiaries. The beneficiaries are a distinct group of people. It's not made available to all. The beneficiaries are restricted, and that's an intentional part of the policy. So it might be a policy that's just for women or a policy that is just for immigrants or something like that. The idea here is that the benefits are extended to a particular group or the services are extended to a particular group, and it's not for all. The alternative would be a universal policy or universalist policy. And universal policies are ones that extend benefits to all. Rather than having a targeted scope, they have a universal scope. And what that means is that everyone is a beneficiary or a potential beneficiary of the goods made available by that policy. So universal policies don't restrict who can be the beneficiary. Um, There might be eligibility conditions. There always are eligibility conditions on most policies that extend benefits. But the idea is that universal policies don't pick out particular groups. They make benefits to people across all different groups. So an example of a universal policy would be something like Social Security in the United States. This is um, where we get our pensions. Social Security is available for everyone irrespective of your race, your religion, your gender, your ethnicity, and so on, you will, you will receive a pension through Social Security. Now, as it turns out, those who are from lower socioeconomic brackets, who have lower incomes throughout their lives, will actually receive disproportionately more than others. So they'll get more out as compared to others uh, who come from higher socioeconomic brackets. So Social, social Security disproportionately benefits those from lower socioeconomic brackets. But it is made available to everyone. Everyone benefits. And when you look at studies and data on this, everyone in the United States seems to agree that Social Security is really valuable. There's there's a big, there's a big um, push in favor of it. And when people start talking about other forms of, of, of pensions, other pension systems like pre-funded systems, people get really nervous. So there's a lot of attachment to Social Security, and that's because it's this universal policy that takes care of everyone who ends up out of work or ends up retiring. A targeted policy might be something like affirmative action or something like reparation. These are policies that are extended, they extend benefits to a particular group. Now, there might be spillover effects. When you help a particular group and that group becomes more economically well-off than it was before, that might have all sorts of positive benefits to society at large. It can help uh, improve the economy and so on. But the idea is that the policy itself extends benefits to a particular group rather than to everybody. And Naomi Zak thinks that we need policies that are universal in nature rather than policies that are group-targeted. And I think she's taking for granted here that identity politics will advocate for group-targeted policies rather than universal policies. Um, just to give you even another example that just came to mind, think about universal health care, another universal policy. Um, you might even think of investments into early childhood education as universal policies. They're, they're, these are policies that are going to benefit everyone's children 
um, and so on. So when we look at, for example, Obama's presidency, he was very interested in universal policies. He was very reluctant to sort of advocate for policies that would target a particular group, even though, for example, he believed that reparation was morally justified, he argued that it wasn't politically feasible. His whole philosophy was we need to take steps forward. And if we can take steps forward through universal policies, then let's do that. So a lot of people argue that Obama was a very pragmatic president. He cared a lot about how to make progress through these universal policies. And so Obamacare, for example, was meant to be an instance of that. So Naomi Zak has this really interesting statement where she says that the progressive should focus, the progressive focus should be on the contemporary interests of large segments of the electorate composed of all identity groups. Even if it is understood that one or another group may benefit more from a particular policy, the groups that will not benefit as much may nevertheless, uh, will nevertheless receive some benefit. This benefit to all constituents should be immediately specific and transparent. She goes on to say the following, something is wrong with a movement or system of progress that cannot anticipate and avoid regress. It does not help to fatalistically accept a cyclical theory of ebb and flow or toward or two steps forward, one step back. To accept that is to abandon expectation that it is even possible to steadily move ahead toward racial equality or the absence of inequality based on race. Needed are mechanisms and perspectives that can make progress permanent. The resulting progressivism by and on behalf of racial minorities needs to be inclusive in ways that will forestall regress so that those who want to go back will be deterred by having too much to lose. That last statement, that last sentence is super powerful and it, it super summarizes what she's advocating for. The resulting progressiv progressivism by and on behalf of racial minorities needs to be inclusive in ways that will forestall regress so that those who want to go back will be deterred by having too much to lose. So in sum, identity politics, according to Naomi Zak, invites pushback and thereby makes the government dysfunctional. At worst, it invites lashback. So what we end up having is this gridlock in politics and so for her, a lot of these group-targeted policies that are just supposed to help racial minorities, those are not the way forward. She thinks they're politically infeasible because they will create dysfunction in the government as people react to that, push back, and resist those policies. But if you can implement policies that are going to benefit everybody, she thinks you won't receive that kind of pushback. And the solution going forward are universal policies. And she has opinions about what these universal policies should be. It doesn't have to be something like, say, universal basic income. Um, she does talk about that in her book, but it could be all sorts of things. It could be improved healthcare, improved education, improved financial assistance for those who are experiencing economic setbacks. Um, it could be universal reforms on policing that benefit all of us, that aren't just made on behalf of racial minorities who do experience really intense and unequal forms of unjust policing. Her solution is that we need policies that will benefit everybody so that we don't experience that pushback, and that is the way forward. All right, I really enjoyed your thoughts about this argument. Um, there's a lot that, that we could challenge, a lot that we could evaluate here. Each of these premises is worth targeting. Will we really receive that much pushback? 
Um, and like, aren't we going to receive pushback come what may? Is it, isn't it, isn't it too optimistic to think that these universal policies are going to resolve the problem of pushback and lashback? There's some reason to think that might be too optimistic. I don't know. I'll leave it to you to think about that. The other thing that a lot of you said in class discussion is that you were skeptical of her premise that the purpose of the government is to solve problems. Not that that's wrong, but maybe there's more to the government. The government isn't less than a problem-solving entity, but perhaps it's more. Perhaps it's also supposed to achieve justice and convey equality to all of its citizens. And on a certain view of justice, maybe what's required are these targeted policies. Maybe what's required is that the government acknowledge identity groups and protect those identity groups through policies. Um, how does it? How does a universal policy help the government express equality to all of its citizens, in particular to the citizens that it is responsible for discriminating against and historically aggrieving? I really enjoyed these conversations, and I look forward to having more. Thanks for listening in, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>